TSM finally leaving the LCS, it sounds like. There is a lot to discuss around that. Uh, MSI just happened as well. Big time finals earlier today. Uh, we'll have to talk about whether Faker choked. Some might say yes, some might say no. Uh, and then LCS roster moves are happening. There might be some visa issues happening. We will get into all of that in episode 125 of the Clown Fiesta podcast. Blue J and JNT250 here to bring it to you. Jinter, we're starting with TSM. They're finally gone. What exactly did they announce uh, in their little tweet? I mean, well, they're not finally gone. They, they still will be around for the summer split. However, it does look like post-summer 2023, it's very likely that we will never see TSM in the LCS again. Um, they posted a update for their LCS team uh, yesterday on Twitter, yesterday being Saturday. Pretty much while the T1 versus BLG series was going on, so at first glance people were like, oh, trying to hide their little message during the middle of MSI, I see. But Reggie did announce that TSM is beginning the process of transitioning to a different Tier 1 region and that they've been actively working towards this for the last three years. So no surprise, I think, for the majority of people when they finally saw that announcement. I think the main thing was that people were actually shocked that it was actually happening because all indications have been over the last two years that TSM has been putting less and less effort into their LCS team and that there was tons of rumors about them potentially moving to a different region, whether or not that was the LEC, some rumors about the CB Law a couple of months ago during the sort of CLG NRG sale, but officially they have announced they're moving to a different tier one region. So we can presume that that's probably going to be the LEC or the LPL, most likely the LPL, but wild that they're that they're gone to begin with yeah most people speculating the lpl not a big surprise even i'll just remind people like a month ago or two months ago travis gafford made that video saying if you're a tsm fan and or an lcs fan maybe you should look for another team to cheer for that's when we kind of had the idea that this was going to happen maybe we didn't have the idea that it was going to happen so damn quick but it's happening and the first thing I want to get into with this discussion is the tweets, because I think everyone saw Azale's tweet. Absolute fire, by the way. For me, an Insta retweet, but let me just quote it here. Azale says, honestly, at this point, all I can say is good fucking riddance. Fucking true. Uh, While it's super sad to lose the TSM who defined the league for years, I already felt like we lost them years ago. And it has felt clear TSM no longer cared about the LCS. I mean, I could not agree more. Like I said, Insta retweet for me. And then Parth also went on to say, saw the, he tweeted this today, saw the TSM LCS news yesterday and felt nothing. It's a business decision as many have been uh, for many years. The team that people fell in love with, feared, respected, and hated. One that embodied a relatable human spirit has slowly been chipped away until only the name is left. Again, completely agree. And I think there was a lot of TSM fans that were not happy with some of these tweets, especially the Azale one. And I mean, what I have to say to those TSM fans is you got to understand the reason why everyone hates TSM is not because they're leaving. It's because they left three years ago when they didn't have to. TSM, look, I know everyone's going to say, oh, they had the FTX deal fall apart. No, 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 no. TSM had resources to put into their team and put effort into their team way before the FTX issue came along, way before the FTX deal even started, before they got their 200 whatever million deal in the first place. That's why people hate TSM. It's not because of their decision to leave. It's the fact that they've been around doing nothing with more than enough resources to be able to do something. And that's why people are going, 
finally, at least we have this team that wasn't putting any effort in is now gone for somebody else to come in and hopefully put some effort in. That's why people are more than happy to see TSM go. It's not just everyone hates TSM and everyone's out to get them. They brought this on themselves. To bat for TSM slightly, which is a bit surprising considering I've been a prime TSM hater, especially during the early days of the LCS being a Cloud9 fan. Um, I don't understand this notion that they've given up for three years now has come from because that has not been something that I think is true, nor has even been talked about up until this exact moment. Like three years feels like the number that everyone's throwing around. It's like, oh, they haven't been trying for three years. It's like, no, I don't think that's true. Okay, I think so what they, would you say the number is because they definitely haven't been trying recently. That I would say sure. one a year and a half since the beginning of 2022. So sure. So regardless of what number it is, it's very, very clear TSM was no longer putting any effort into their league team. That's why people are happy for them to go. I have no idea or no issue. And I, I, I don't disagree with that. The number is different. Yeah, I, I don't, have no issue with you saying like the number of, of time is different. That I don't, that is irrelevant to me. It's very clear that they gave up on this league and that's why people are happy to see them go. So goodbye. Yeah, I, I just... I don't even want to go down this road as an issue, but it does seem some apparent issue in the league scene where stuff is just over-exaggerated way too much. And I feel like this is another example of it where, you know, even in 2021, TSM was still actively trying to win. That was the whole year where they spent a lot of money on Sword Art. And that was a, a move that was expected to be a big Fair move enough. to help change the league and potentially, like, have a franchise player because Sword Art had, people have forgotten, just recently gone to Worlds was one of the best players on the Sooning roster who had lost to Damwon in the finals. So I would push back on that slightly, but nevertheless, over the last year and a half, TSM has definitely not been as involved in the LCS as, as they've previously been. Kind of it all started with their Chinese iteration of the roster that they wanted to roll out with Kaiduo and what was the other guy's name? Shen Yi? Shen Yi. That guy, yeah. dude. I mean, ever since that roster, we kind of got the indication that TSM was starting to move into a budget mode. And then, obviously, there's other tons of signs that have been cropping up over the last six months. The 2023 roster, the lack of involvement in the NACL, and even before that, the kind of slap in the face to the NACL region as a whole, signing just a bunch of veterans and no young talent. So, I guess to circle back to the original point of TSM being gone, yes, I think the majority of people don't have that same you know emotional or personal connection with tsm as they used to because the org is so much different than they were towards the beginning of the lcs i think parth really put it he got it spot on really like the tsm that we see now is not the same tsm that existed you know five six seven eight nine ten years ago while the name might be the same the org is completely different i mean it has gone through so much turnover and it's really not even the same org I also have to say that, like, I think it's a very good point that you bring up to get the numbers right. And so I do stand fully corrected that you're right. They were trying when they went after Sword Art and so on and so forth. That I do, I that's a good correction because I think accuracy is important here. Uh, I think the reason why myself and others held on to the three years number is because he said that they've been looking to get out of the league for three years, right? And to your point, it's been about a year and a half that they really gave up on I don't know, putting in an actual effort to make it a good team, putting in content. They just slowly stopped doing TSM Legends and things like that. They didn't really reach out to their fans or were never honest with their fans. Uh, oh, just a quick reminder, by the way, that they have an owner that uh, definitely we saw abuse of players. And yes, it was a long time ago, but there's all these reasons that people don't like TSM anymore. It's not because they're leaving to China. The whole business decision 
is a fair one, honestly. I could totally see why. Like, you're not making money or not winning in the LCS right now. I, that is, I can actually understand that. And that's why, not why people are upset with TSM. And I think it's important to, to make that very clear. Um, I mean, a lot of it, I think, is a bit of a byproduct of TSM's, like, image and their philosophy because they were known as the team that wins. So anything that wasn't winning was just a complete failure. Like, there was no yeah. middle ground in between. Like, if TSM did not win LCS or they did not do well internationally or they did not do well in playoffs, it was already a failure to begin with because of the already set-in-stone kind of values and, and what TSM is supposed to look like from the outside. So they were kind of in a lose-lose situation anyways, and that kind of goes back to their fundamental errors that we've talked about many, many times on the show over the last year that they didn't do anything outside of just being the org that wins. They developed no personality really apart from the players that were on their team. That they There was, no, there was nothing different about them. They, they were just the team that won, and when they stopped winning, they became irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah, and so a, a couple more questions that I want to get into. Um, since we're we're thinking that it's the LPL, let, let, it doesn't even matter if it's the LPL or the LEC or CBL or whatever. I guess the question that I want to bring up, and it's something we've kind of touched on before, is like, would any of or would or should any of these leagues want TSM in their league? Because to me, it seems very clear that there's some absolute risks to having them in the league. We just mentioned how when the going got tough, they just kind of fell over and gave up and i understand that it doesn't look like anytime soon league of legends is going to fall off in china that's where league of legends is definitely still very very popular there's a huge fan base and they're not exactly struggling right now however i do want to remind people esports is very unpredictable that's one of the only things we could predict about esports is that it's unpredictable and what happens if i, I, I understand it's a very big if but if another esport comes along or another game comes along like say maybe a riot mmo maybe people get less interested in league of legends what happens if tsm sees that you know things are going well and the numbers start to fall off and they just give up again right like that to me would be a real concern if i was the lpl commissioner especially if now they have 17 teams right especially uh, yeah. if all those 17 teams are already giving it their all now i don't follow the lpl so maybe there is one or two teams that aren't really doing much of anything and so maybe the commission is willing to roll the dice and say you know what I'm willing to risk having TSM come into our league to get rid of this other team that wants to sell and is giving up on putting any effort. That's totally a real possibility. But let's, like, I just think it looks really bad when you have TSM that kind of just gave up putting any resources into their team when the going got rough. And what if that happens in the LPL, for example? Well, I even remember talking about this in a previous episode where we were talking about TSM. I'm thinking it was during the, you know, CLG NRG sale with the rumors that TSM was potentially exiting was the fact that if history shows us anything is that TSM easily gives up on their projects when they aren't going well. You know, I, I don't remember all of them off the top of my head right now, but during one of those episodes a few months ago, I remember outlining all of the, you know, various endeavors that TSM has gone on, you know, put a lot of resources into when they became popular and or were winning. And then once that stopped, they made a very swift exit, you know, Early days of TSM Valorant come to mind. TSM CSGO, you know, I guess TSM League now. Uh, I remember talking about some of their Smash players as well. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. I don't remember everything with regards to that. But you make the point that, well, is this something that other commissioners around the world, if TSM is looking to join a different region, is this something that they should look at? Be like, well, 
sorry guys the history kind of points to like when things aren't going well for you 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 tend to you know curl up into your shell and shy away from either fixing it or, or making drastic changes to improve it just there's not a lot of improvement that goes on for the most part so i would agree with you that there should be some concern if tsm were to join a different league around the world however i still think that tsm's name brand enough or name value is enough to warrant a league bringing them in just purely because it's going to drop interest in the league, whether or not it's Absolutely. the LPL or the LEC. If you hear TSM is moving to this league, all the eyeballs are going to be on TSM and all the other teams who played TSM in that first season because people want to see how, how far could they go? Like, can they even win in this region? What's the kind of roster they're going to put together? How is it even going to look? So, yeah. And that's the pros side of things, right? Cause that is an absolute fair argument is, you're probably going to bring in eyeballs from North American fans. European fans love to hate TSM as much as LCS fans love to hate TSM. Maybe even the LCK as well. I mean, we heard more TSM chants than any other freaking team at MSI. Like, clearly, people will watch TSM. And so that is an absolute pro or thing that goes in the pros list is like, yeah, people will watch it. And yes, TSM might be the punching bag that everyone wants to see lose. But you know what? Everyone wants to see them. So that is an absolute argument for wanting TSM in your league. Uh, but again, I, I don't watch enough LPL to know how much of the teams are putting in effort into their, into their rosters, into their content, etc. Um, so if all 17 are, then I wouldn't want TSM. But if there's one or two that just aren't, then yeah, I would probably take the risk and take TSM if I was the one making the decision, right? Yeah. Uh, last thing I want to talk about when it comes to TSM is how much does this hurt the LCS or not hurt the LCS? JNT, I'll, I'll let you start with this one. I think it definitely depends on the org that comes in to replace them. Fair. Because while TSM does not have the same impact that it once did within the LCS, they still are a popular org, which will naturally draw fans to watch the league, whether or not you're a league fan or a TSM fan, or, or a, a fan of a different team. But if you're a TSM fan... It kind of the way that the early like esports ecosystem worked was that if you were a fan of an org, you kind of just watched everything. Didn't necessarily matter if you followed that game specifically. I mean, kind of varied person to person. But if a team, if the team that comes in and replaces TSM also brings that name value, I'll just use Sentinels as an example. I say that because they're already within the right ecosystem. There were some loose but not necessarily totally accurate rumors that they wanted to buy an LCS spot. But in a world where an org like Sentinels were to replace TSM, I, I don't think that we would see any big shift in viewership or eyeballs or anything, because if you were to get a very notable org to come in and replace them, that also, you know, it, it provides that same value that going to another region provides TSM. It provides eyeballs to the new team that's coming in. So if it's a popular org that comes and replace them, I don't think that we're going to really see an effect. However, if the team that comes in to replace them is a kind of a nobody, then I do think that we will see potentially a dip in, in viewership maybe. Yeah, I don't think, I think the risk is very, very good for the side of the LCS because I don't think there's a lot of TSM fans left watching the LCS. We just mentioned how for the last year and a half, at least, they haven't really been putting any effort in, they haven't been winning. So unless TSM fans like to watch their team lose, there hasn't really been that many TSM fans watching the LCS. And I don't think that the viewership will drop off all that hard. And I think in total, I think it's quite good 
that TSM is leaving. Because the way I look at it is you've got one team that hasn't really done anything for a year and a half, and another team might come in, and the worst case scenario is they have another team that hasn't really done anything or doesn't really do anything. I think it's more likely that the team coming in, which I, I would guess it's Sentinels, by the way. I don't know if that's going to be the case or not, but it definitely seems like a, uh, a possible team. I would guess that any team joining the league is likely to have a game plan or to have some sort of... Um, uh, will to try to do something or to try to promote their team, make content, etc. cetera. Uh, so I think it is likely that it is a plus, even though it is not for sure. Um, however, I will say from the optics side of things, not optic gaming, from the optics, the, the, the way it looks, um, it looks bad losing your most historically, uh, what's the word here? Historical, maybe Accessible. just historical, maybe just most historical team. Um, because well, Historic. TSM was there from the, from the beginning, and they won a lot. So, yeah, the optics, not so good. Uh, but in reality, I think it's likely good. Yeah, I mean, I do remember seeing a Reddit post where, like, TSM is the last of the, you know, truly OG LCS teams that's gone. I mean, I understand the sentiment that, you know, Cloud9 wasn't necessarily there at the first ever split of LCS, and that Team Curse has now rebranded to Team Liquid. But, I mean, Cloud9 and Team Liquid still feel like super old LCS teams that I don't think like we're going to lose a bunch of older LCS fans just because TSM is gone. So yeah. it, it, I mean, one thing that I think whatever team is coming in does have going for them a little bit is when you're a new team that has never been in the LCS, like you're, you're naturally going to get eyeballs to you to begin with. You people recall when franchising started, like the teams that came in for franchising were clutch gaming, optic, uh, golden guardians and hundred thieves and really only 100 sorry only golden guardians was like a really lackluster team for the most part all those teams that joined them being optic uh 100 thieves and clutch gaming they were all pretty competitive for the most part they were all like just either all making playoffs or a couple of them weren't making playoffs just barely like they were never one of the bottom teams and i think a lot of what had to do with that was them making pretty impactful signings right from the get go you know we saw 100 thieves actively go and pursue a ton of great players who played within the LCS for quite a long time. Like what that first roster was Medios, someday Afromu. Medios, Aframu was bang. Bang wasn't on that first. It was Cody Sun. I was going to ask Cody Sun and Ryu. No, it was Cody Sun okay. and Ryu, but it's still a good roster. So I would hope that whichever team comes in to replace TSM does actively try to pursue, you know, some notable names or notable players to, jumpstart their their beginning in the lcs because it would be a pretty it would be a shame if a team came into the lcs and took that same attitude that tsm is working with right now and put that towards their team where they're just signing minimum value players and not really putting together a competitive roster so i would think and hope that whichever team is coming in to replace them is going to start their time in the lcs making some sort of aggressive moves and trying to put together a somewhat competitive roster we pray that it's Mr. Beast. Yeah. I mean, if, I mean, it's, if, not, if it's him, he's got all the money in the world to go buy some damn good players. I just so highly doubt that it is. Uh, it's the only way we're ever going to get Faker in an A. Yeah. Is the Mr. Beast money. Yeah. Dude, I... Okay. Maybe a little tangent here. I don't want Faker to come to North America because... No, I don't want him either. Dude, like, I, I love Faker, but we've seen a lot of players fall off when they come from major regions. We've seen world champions fall off when they come over to North America. We don't need to be the region Go, go that to the real retirement Faker. home. 
<laughs> like don't go don't go to the League of Legends retirement home. Go to the real retirement home. Yeah, like oh god, we there's so many players that you could add to the list that got worse when they came to North America. There's some European players. People will point to Broxa, Whippo. Uh, then you could look at um, uh, God CLG Optic. What the hell's his name? One Worlds mid laner. Wait, Malzahar. What? Oh, Crown. <laughs> Crown. Thank you. You were saying yeah, European, like... so I didn't think. Of yeah, Crown. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I I meant to specify the different leagues. Um, anyway. Yeah, the last thing we need is to be the region that ruined Faker. Uh, uh, I'm I'm in the same boat. Yeah. Anything else on the TSM stuff? Um, I don't know. I mean, how do you feel about it? Are you like, yeah, let's go, take care, comb your hair? Or I mean, are you I, like, I'm kind of no. I I like I said at the beginning. I think Parth really hit the nail on the head. Like, it doesn't really matter at this point. I mean, TSM that once was is not the TSM that is. So. Yeah, I just want any org that I think will contribute to the league. That's that's it. That's all I want. TSM wasn't doing that. It's that simple for me. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Uh, before we move on, just want to remind people: if you're enjoying the content, hit the subscribe button on YouTube. Leave a comment. Hit the like button. Leave all that stuff. Uh, that helps us quite a bit. And also, we do have a Discord. We haven't plugged our Discord in a long time. We have a Discord. You can find it in the description on Twitch or on or on YouTube. Um, feel free to join the discussion on Discord. Um, usually, we got a few people that are starting conversations in there, so feel free to join that. Let's now talk about MSI JNT. Uh, finals happened today, and it wasn't the teams that we were expecting to have in finals, was it? No, both of us were on the T1 JDG, but BLG put a nice little spoil to that the day before for an all LPL MSI finals. And it was another one of those series where it started way better than it ended. I mean, the last two games were complete stomps, but the first two games were very, very competitive. I, I was a little bit surprised how competitive BLG was keeping it in the first two games. And I was like, damn, this is, we're about to see like a slobber knocker five game series. And JDG ended up putting the big boy pants on, closed it out in four after pretty much an almost flawless game four and a dominant game three off of a attempted, what do I call some attempted sauce out of BLG going with the vein, but it, it, it didn't work out. Dude, the hype behind, like, did, did you hear the crowd when they Yeah, dude, and they had it all planned. Like, it was insta-locked. Like, they insta-locked the vein after they locked in Sejuani, Sion, on the other side. And I, it was funny because even the game before, I think it was JDG who was hovering the vein on red side into the double tanks. So we kind of got, like, a, a little preview of it the game before, but, you know, BLG ended up locking it in. But, I mean, that was, like, did, did Vayne do anything in that entire game? I don't think he did. Was not involved yeah. whatsoever up until the I end where he died. Well, and what's kind of funny is that like that gets locked in, the crowd gets hype, and then first blood is on Vayne. I'm like, oh man, well yeah. that hype didn't last all that long. Look, at the end of the day, JDG was just the best team in the tournament. I still think that T1 could put up a fight against them again, like if we saw another match. But like t1 just didn't really show up uh, when it came down to like their last series right like they just weren't there really and jdg absolutely was when it came to the final series like it, those two teams to me are still the best teams in the tournament i know blg just beat them and i know there's probably lpl fans that are going to be like you still think t1's better than blg and yeah i do i'm sorry i just don't think t t1 had a good series 
Um, I'm not saying BLG didn't deserve to move on to the finals, but uh, yeah, I, I think that the two best teams were still JDG and T1. However, T1 kind of choked a little bit. And even when we talk about T1 still potentially being one of those top teams, I mean, JDG, I think, really put a... I mean, they put the stamp on the tournament with the domination that they had in the finals and, you know, to close it out in games three and four. So I, I don't think there was any question of, you know, if T1 would have beat BLG, what would it what would it have looked like? Because I still think that even though I was putting my faith in T1 uh, before this last part of the... The bracket stage finished up. If people remember our last episode, I predicted T1, Blue Jay predicted JDG. However, I think the best team won, which yeah, is in I, part, I, I think, due to the, 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 the introduction of the lower bracket. You know, we got to see tons of additional best of fives that we wouldn't have seen if it wasn't because of the lower bracket. So I know we've already talked at length about the format, but it would be pretty difficult to not implement this thing into Worlds because... It'd be pretty awesome, no? Yeah, I think it's definitely, I, especially for the diehard fans, which I am, as long as it doesn't hurt the casual fans too much, I'm always in favor of doing things for the diehard fans because there were so many games. You were, you and I were talking about it before going live. Like, how, how many teams did B, or how many games did BLG play? You said like 20 something, right? 26. So for the diehard fans, like, they got games and it was nonstop and it's great. Now, mind you, from our side of things, I don't know about you, JNT, it's hard to cover a tournament that in such a short amount of time has so many games. It's hard to remember all the games. Like I'm rewatching them and my brain is just complete mush trying to remember them all. But uh, for the diehard fans that just want more and more and more games, it's freaking great. And the games are exciting and there's more good teams there. And so like, yeah, lots of good things to say about, um, about the format. And I do think that um, with the success of this tournament, I think we're going to continue to see uh, a format such as this next year, maybe some small tweaks and of course worlds as well, some possible tweaks as well, but, but yeah, definitely people are happy with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Knight did get the finals MVP for the series. Um, I did think that was pretty well deserving his, uh, he was a monster. Yeah. His, uh, Jace in game three was absolutely disgusting. That thing was, I mean, he basically was almost perfect mechanically in that whole game like I, I remember watching looking at that game like this guy hasn't made a mistake this the, the entire time and it's pretty rare to do on jace because i mean especially over in the lcs we see a lot of int moments on this champion but i don't know that, that guy was an absolute monster in the finals yeah so it was like game one three and four did he play it how many times did he play jace three right or did he play it every game I just remember one and three were the two where he was like absolutely destroying everybody. But what, what I, think I thought he played was it so three times, but uh, I don't remember exactly. I just remember games one and three stuck in my mind where he was like absolutely just annihilating everyone. And, and for people to know just how impactful it is, it's more than just, oh, he landed his poke on Jace, a good Jace player. Like it's more than that. Um, what he would do in just about every game, not even just um, the finals, but even against T1. Um, and pretty much all of their series, honestly, is Knight would get Pryo when he's playing, I mean, especially with Jace, and he would work really well with Jungle, like with Kanavi, and they would invade and then go and dive bot. Or he would just pressure and force the bot lane, the enemy bot lane to back off turret and allow Ruler to get plates. And so uh, you could really see how 
he's not just impacting the mid lane he's impacting the jungle because you're invading and then he's impacting the bot lane so like well well deserved mvp of the final series like he actually is impacting everywhere from mid down and i mean he played so much jace and it's i mean that guy he loves that champion clearly he's really good at it actually and- <laughs> more important question jnt would knight swipe right on jace I don't. I don't get the joke. It's just Tinder. Okay, it's not well, a joke. It's just what he swiped right on Chase. Okay, I guess sure. Yes, yes. I think I think he would. He is that good at the champion. He likes picking it that much, and he impacts the whole damn map with it. So yeah. I feel like this was the night that was finally promised to the international yes. viewers because I mean I don't watch any LPL. You know, for the most part, I'll watch highlights of playoff series when it comes down to the end. But we've seen Knight at how many? We we've seen Knight at two worlds previously, and now MSI as his international events. I I want to say those are the only two international tournaments we've seen Knight at was Worlds 2020 and Worlds 2022. Um, can't remember off the top of my head right now, but for the most part, Knight was hyped up as one of these best player in the world type of players who was going to come into these international tournaments and really show his prowess. However, that has not really happened both at Worlds 2020 and Worlds 2022. And it does feel like at this MSI, we finally got the knight that was promised, the absolute monster who is one of the best mid laners in the world. Which year was it? Was it this world that just happened or the world's prior where everyone said he was the best player in the world? I think that was 2020. Because that's I wasn't sure when... If it was, I, yeah, I just remember it was recent. It was one of the recent years, but I couldn't tell you which year exactly. I believe it was 2020 because that was when Top Esports was the number one seed for the LPL that year. Mm. And that was when they almost got knocked out by Fnatic in quarterfinals. And I forget who they lost to in semis. Maybe it was... It's... Maybe it was Damwon or... I feel like it was a Korean team. I guess it had to have been what? Sooning, probably. You know what? I think It, it must was, have been cause... Sooning. That that was the year that um they the had finals FlyQuest was in their group I remember and FlyQuest yeah. actually beat them it was yeah the FlyQuest UOL DRX and Top Esports yeah 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 I think you're right I think that was the year and like that whole narrative just disappeared and I think there's good reason for to bring that narrative back that like yeah maybe this guy is one of the best or the best mid laner in the world um he certainly made a case for himself this tournament um obviously you want to see more than just an MSI tournament to give him to give him that but i think he's definitely throwing himself in the conversation and let me remind people there's a lot of good freaking mid laners a lot yep some of them not even at this tournament like showmaker even though i know showmaker didn't have the best spring split but like yeah there's a lot of good mid laners and so to throw him in the discussion for best mid laner in the world as moyo is in the live chat i think really speaks to just how much of a success this tournament was for him uh his jace was absolutely beast um uh, random random aside though when you brought up showmaker I only recently discovered the the D plus Kia YouTube channel where they upload like stream highlights and like YouTube videos of oh really like the all all the other Korean players on the team dude showmaker that guy is hilarious like you got to watch some of these videos I would love that I, I love showmaker it's content. it's so funny he does crack me up hopefully we get to see him at Worlds um he other better players be. that other players that stood out on this team I mean the ruler, obvious ruler, ones, ruler 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 yeah right like like. So we talk about MVP of the series being Knight. I think of the tournament, most people are going to point to Ruler. And we did mention last week how, like, it's not a one-man show. Like, this team clearly knows how to team fight and peel for him. But, I mean, come on, man. Uh, what can this guy not do? 
nonstop damage. His spacing is great. I mean, that's what you expect out of 80 carries. It doesn't seem to me like he ever has to stop autoing. And that's a really difficult thing. That's so much easier said than done. Um, yeah, they team fight really, really well. And I think that's why uh, we saw so much success out of rulers. Because when the team fights are going well, you're going to see the AD carry popping off. Yeah, I mean, especially with the meta these days being heavily skewed towards bot lane, it makes a lot of sense how successful JDG was at that tournament. Because ruler, I mean, ruler probably was the best individual player at the tournament. I, I mean, it's probably him. The only other one that you could maybe, you know, put in the running is Elk, but Ruler kind of clobbered Elk in two of their series that they played against each other, so hard to put Elk over him, but you you could really see just strictly from the laning phase how good this guy is. But, but both of both of the LPL bot lanes, I, I still want to give big credit to, to Elk and On because those guys throughout the entire tournament were also, I feel like, just as insane as Ruler and Missing when they weren't going up against each other, so... The LPL bottom lanes, they are really taking to another level and really, I think, distinguish themselves from the rest of the pack this tournament. Yeah, and I think another guy that we need to shout out is 369. Uh, his Gragas is just good, man. Like, really, really good. Yeah, that uh, um, was a game one when he was playing Gragas. Like, he, the flank? He, well, I was just thinking of, like, the sheer number of, like, interruptions that he had throughout that game, where whether it was, like, Jax or Maokai trying to get onto the back line or anything like that, like... They just did a really good job of holding the line, even with like Knight playing on Jace, like his uh the knockbacks. Like they the whole team just did a really good job of preventing anybody from getting onto the back line. Yeah. I just remember he caught out Elk, I think it was, or maybe oh, I might be confusing series because that might have been the T1 series. The where he's playing Gragas and he flanks around Blue Buff. It's a fight that's happening in River at Baron, and he flanks around Blue Buff. There's a ward, but he's not spotted on. Yeah, it. that 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 was the T1 was, series. That, okay, that that was mm -hmm. another really really nice play. And the thing is, I, I think the reason why I'm getting them confused is because there was a lot of really nice Gragas picks onto 80 carries over the tournament. So I think 369 deserves a huge shout out as well. That guy was a monster. We did see the Nautilus. They got the the. Number three of the flexes now, Nautilus jungle. That was a. Uh, it just felt like another tank jungler. So I think at this point, I mean, you can flex Nautilus into four roles. Like Nautilus top is still like fine. So I would expect to see some nerfs coming to this champion soon to remove the flexibility of it going into the summer season because Nautilus has turned into that set type of champion where you can just pick it whenever. And the champion is just permanently meta. So I think we'll be yeah. seeing the end of of, of Nautilus non-support. There's a few picks that I kind of got tired of. Like, I first of all, I did not think the meta was necessarily bad for MSI. But just like any international tournament where you're playing on the same patch for a long time, there's just some champions that are like, okay, I'm ready to see them go. Like, when I see everyone running first strike Annie and they're just perma tibbers in lane just for gold. Like, dude. Like, that's not what should be happening. And maybe you blame First Strike for that. If that's the case, totally fine. But, like, I don't want to just see Perma spam Tibbers whenever it's off cooldown. So maybe you need to nerf any cooldown. Maybe you need to nerf First Strike. But that's just not really fun to see. Nautilus just point-and-click R on someone isn't really all that exciting. We talked last week about Scion just not even going to lane level 1. There's a few things this tournament that I was like, okay, these things need to go now. Yeah, there there did feel like there was a lot of diversity in terms of what you could pick. However, 
the majority of times games would default to the very generic, you know, Aphelios for Jinx trade, uh, you know, RE mid lane, Nautilus mid lane. Uh, the support pool was also pretty, pretty small for the most part. You were basically only seeing like EDC Rakan with Zaya Rakan. Sometimes you'd see Rakan elsewhere. Sometimes you'd see Zaya elsewhere. And for the most part, it'd be Lulu. Uh, and then you'd have like a couple other support champions that you'd see like Thresh. Uh, what's the other one that I'm, that I'm missing? We saw a little bit of Blitz. See, the thing is, I don't care if the champion pool is small for, for AD carrier support, as long as they're fun champions to watch. Like, I want to watch Thresh. I want to watch Blitz, Rakan, like, Lulu less so, obviously. But, like, the point is, there's still some good champion. I love watching Jinx Ophelios. It's great. I'll, I'll take Jinx Ophelios all freaking, all year. As long as it's not, like... Sivir just wave clearing or Ash just volleying like every two seconds. Like that stuff is so not interactive. I want to see people fight. I want to see some crazy team fight pop off where Jinx is resetting. Like that shit is so much fun. So even though the meta was maybe a little bit stale and repetitive, the champions are fun to watch. And so I'm mm -hmm. totally down. And the other thing that I thought was cool was you could see a lot of the, you know, different regional kind of viewpoints on certain champions, like with the LPL they were pretty much picking Jax a lot of the time. Like Jax was not being picked by a lot of other regions. You look at the LCK, Cassante, like that champion was all over that region and a lot of other regions. But the LPL was one of the only regions that really put not a lot of priority on this champion. Then you look at a champion like Ari, that champ was perma played by the LCK the entire time. Anytime that Ari was up and available for LCK teams to play, they were playing it. So I, I do think that, you know, while I'll agree that the meta wasn't like stale per se, because there was a, you know, a wide variety of what you could pick it more often than not defaulted to the same type of things, which can get a little tiring. But I do think that, you know, the meta was still great to begin with because you did get to see these really high plays and and tense team fights. If it was yeah. if it was way more snowball -y, which some games were, we did see a lot of games that were ending in like 20, you know, just over 20 minutes. But Whenever we did get those, you know, longer games that had a lot of team fights, they were always very exciting. Yeah. Uh, maybe we should start talking a little bit about BLG because there's some, definitely some players to highlight. We mentioned Elk a little bit. Actually, one guy that I wanted to mention was um, Yagao on the Annie. So many times when, like, they're getting engaged on, Yagao would turn around and turn the fight with a Tibber. So even though I say, like, I don't like Annie because she's just spamming Tibbers in lane, there were some nice, actually out of both LPL mid laners when I really think about it, some nice turns um, counter engages with the Annie. So that was something that I thought both LPL mid laners did really well. Obviously, Bin had a good tournament, even though he started off with a rough tournament. Bin's always super exciting to watch. And I, like I said earlier, even though I still think if there was T1 playing BLG again, I would predict T1. BLG definitely showed up in this tournament, whereas it didn't look like it was going to be the case to start off the tournament. They didn't look that solid in playing it. Yeah, I think uh, I'm trying to look back on you know, how much their play-in stage really blinded me from seeing the true power of the team. And, you know, some of that definitely does have to do with the fact that I didn't really watch this team play at all before MSI. But as the tournament went on, you could really see this team get stronger and stronger. And I think a lot of that did have to do with them sort of figuring out uh, their, their style that wasn't just, oh, we're going to win through bot lane. Because it felt like in the in the entirety of the playing stage, if they weren't dominating through bot lane, they didn't necessarily know what to do, or they didn't they didn't have that exact identity of knowing how the game played out if if X wasn't happening. But I think as the tournament went on, we saw that they were way more than just a one trick pony when it came to dominating bot lane. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, there was actually another play that I wanted to highlight. I don't remember which game it was, but it was in the T1 series, and it was something I noticed that BLG did really um, well. It's just a smart play. So they have total control of River, and usually you don't want to give up that control, right? When you have all the wards, you have it all swept. Um, but they, I think they noticed they were spotted on one ward, and they leave River. But I think it's all planned to make to know that they were seen leaving the river. And so T1 thinks, oh, BLG's backing off and we can just drag. As soon as T1 starts the drag, then they just flash over the wall and engage a fight. And to me, that was like a, a I don't think you see that too often, where it's planned to give up control of river and then take a fight. Um, I, again, I don't know which game it was, but that was something else that like I don't see teams do that. And so that was something I had to shout out BLG for as well. Uh, it was definitely like a huge bait play, kind of pog. Uh, yeah. Okay, maybe we should start, start talking about the LCK teams a little bit. Cause yeah, they, uh, a little bit disappointing, I would say, right? They definitely fell off. Uh, should we start with Faker? Yeah, I mean, oh man. Did he choke? I don't know. Like, Obviously, everybody knows who watches this show for a long time. Like, I'm a Faker fanboy. Who's not a Faker fanboy? But he really just struggled on the, you know, the mid lane meta of MSI and... I think part of that was that T1 went fully into the mindset of, hey, we are going to play only set up mid laners and we're going to be playing like for our jungle. We're picking mid lane for jungle, basically. And I think that's not necessarily a losing strategy because that was yeah, a strategy that a lot of teams were implementing at the tournament, but it definitely wasn't something that T1 looked very practiced on or even looked very comfortable on. We are used to Faker just being the, I mean, Faker is the control mage king. Like, Whenever control mages are in the meta, and you, you see metas like Orianna, Azir, Syndra, Rai, stuff like that, Faker, Faker is king in those metas. There is almost no other mid laners in the world that is going to be better than him at that style. Maybe Showmaker, uh, maybe Chovy, but for the most part, Faker is always leading the way in those kinds of metas. But whenever it's not been, that is when, for the most part, Faker and T1 have struggled, you know, historically. You know, you look back at Season 9, when all that was going on, like, you know, T1 wasn't at the top of their game then, even at the tournaments that they ended up missing worlds. You know, I'm looking at season eight where the meta was like all about Akali Aurelia and stuff like that. So I think if we do look back a little bit and play some history into this, whenever it's not control mages, T1 and Faker do seem to struggle. Interesting. That that had not occurred to me, but behind the question of did he choke, my instinct is yes. The the only thing that I'm struggling with is like maybe choke is not the right terminology. But the idea that I'm trying to get forward here is like, I did not think Faker had a good tournament. He didn't have a Faker level tournament. He died quite a bit. I didn't count his deaths. I really didn't. But it occurred to me that he was dying quite a bit. And there are times where you're dying and it's to engage the fight and your team wins the fight. But I think you're coping if you're saying like, oh, he's just dying for the team. Like, no, sometimes he's just dying. Straight up just dying and not really getting much out of it. The one area where I will defend him was I think this was the JDG series in game five where he did the not they stuck they stood in the brush you know what I'm talking about yeah they went for the 4v5 so to me I will defend him for that the reason being that they all stood in the brush that was the call clearly now whoever made the call is at fault which very it could have been faker that said hey guys let's sit here and take this 4v5 fight that may have been faker's call but from outside just viewing we don't know who made that call so that to me is a team mistake uh, I agree. He just happens to be the one that hits the go button, which is the hook, right? Uh, clearly not a fight they wanted to take. That's the one area where I'll defend Faker. But yeah, uh, died quite a bit. And out of all the mid laners from the major regions, I think he was the worst one. 
Yeah, I mean, that, I think what you're describing is kind of what I was alluding to a bit earlier when I said it was kind of, you know, it was both Faker, but also the team that was struggling with the style. Because when you have Faker on these purely engaged style of champions, it's, you know, he's working with the team to to make these engages happen. He's just not, like, engaging randomly. I misspoke. I need to correct real quick. I said of the major regions, Faker was the worst one. I meant of the, the Eastern LPL regions. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I was like, oh shit, what did I just say? That is not what I meant to say. Um, sorry to cut you off. What were you saying? No, just that I think, especially when Faker is playing this style, you, you can't necessarily solely fault him because when you're the guy who's playing the engager, you don't just engage randomly, like you engage with team coordination. And sometimes you flood the engage, sometimes the engage doesn't work out. But for the most part, it's going to be a team decision when you're playing this, this style of, of comp. And if we're going to ask the question of did Faker choke, maybe we should also ask the question of Karia, because he's supposed to be what we said was the best player in the world. We weren't the only ones to say that, but the best player in the world. And he just wasn't. Not that he had an awful tournament. I think he had a better tournament than Faker. But again, not like Caria. Like this guy, like if you watched LCK this year, you know what I'm talking about. This guy was, in my opinion, the best player in the world. He was so fucking good, or at least very best player in LCK. And I don't really think we saw that either. I don't even think you could say that he was the best player uh, in the LCK from this tournament. So that's kind of an issue. Yeah, it's, it's really going to be interesting, I think, going into summer to see whether or not T1 will struggle to begin the LCK if maybe some of their problems or issues from MSI carry over, or it's just that they were simply outclassed and the LPL is so much better. Because I think in a world where T1 just goes back to dominating the LCK, I think that's a true indictment on the strength of the LPL versus the LCK and that the LPL should be the overwhelming favorites because, you know, it's always this game that, you know, the community plays, you know, when it comes to these international tournaments is okay well once msi concludes what region should be the favorite going into worlds and i think that it's hard to ignore how lpl should probably be the favorite going into worlds now like they smacked daddy the lck by all accounts yeah and for me i guess maybe we can have this conversation a little bit of like is the lpl better than the lck or is the lck better than the lpl for me it's just never been clear one way or another i've always erred on the side of i think the lck is better but to me it's never been clear cut but what will always happen is once one side wins a tournament that everyone says see told you we were better and it's like dude these teams just go back and forth winning worlds and winning msis like to me it's not uh yeah, it's not that clear cut that one is better than the other. Like, yeah, I don't know. Because at, at last Worlds, did LCK not like clap the LPL? Um, like, we had two we had two LCK teams in the finals. So like we're yeah. just supposed to completely forget that you know what I'm saying here? No, I I know what you're saying. I'm just saying and, what the and people I totally, usually say. Yeah, and I would totally say, like, if you were asking me after this tournament, I'm gonna say the LPL is better. But the thing is, I don't think it's always just set in stone and things don't change they keep going back and forth and i think that's a very good thing by the way i don't think it's ever going to be like or at least not in the near future it's going to be clear cut that one region is better than the other and i think that is so so healthy for international tournaments you don't want to know the region that's going to take it home every time but the the only reason why i bring it up is because i think it's important to note you know when we talk about the the msi like fatigue or going into summer split traditionally teams who go to msi struggle towards the beginning of summer and i think mm -hmm. in a world where tsm just or sorry not tsm t1 uh struggles 
at the beginning of summer, you know, it, you can kind of bring up those questions of, oh, okay, well, like T1 was actually struggling at MSI, so maybe they weren't even at full strength, or if TSM just goes back to their, keep saying TSM, if T1 goes back to their winning ways, then like I said, it could be just a true indictment that the LPL is is stronger. And I think this is true for all of the, the major regions, all the regions that sent two teams. This is an opportunity for the teams that didn't attend this tournament to get a real head start in summer split. Because um, what we see happen every year is there is like the MSI hangover and there's always the one team that struggles out the gate because they didn't take a break and they were kind of burnt out. Now you've got two teams that should theoretically be burnt out for summer split. Like if I'm LCS viewer, like I'm thinking this is a huge opportunity for that third place team like FlyQuest who just brought in Vulcan, for example, to make a run and put themselves in a really good playoff spot. Now playoffs are a different story because usually the hangover is kind of done by the time summer playoffs come around. But it's a huge opportunity for that, those teams to get themselves a good playoff seating. And the same is true with the LCK, LPL, and LEC. Um, I think this year MSI's format changes could completely change the way we look at summer split because the two best teams theoretically need a break i didn't even i totally forgot about the fact that it's two teams now as opposed to one who might go through that that hangover as you mentioned yeah right because i mean it's not a long time summer split starts what in like 10 days 11 days for us and for lcs it starts in 10 days yeah that that says a lot to me um okay gen g they also kind of choked you well i don't know am i using the word choked too much i don't know Stomped c9 and then kind of got stomped by blg yeah i don't think they choked per se uh i do think that i mean the it was pretty obvious that the strengths of blg were just way too overwhelming for gen g um i mentioned specifically bin versus doran in the top lane and elkin on versus pays and delight in the bot lane that was clear as day that you know blg was just the stronger team and we kind of just saw domination from those two sides of the map and i don't know i remember coming into the tournament wondering if pays and delight were going to struggle at all or if there was going to be any you know nerves or anything like that and i do think that they didn't necessarily play bad by any means but there was a very obvious skill discrepancy from them to the lpl bot lanes it's telling when the number two seed beats the number one seed of lc number two lpl seed beats the number one of lck that that should indicate that something went wrong there and vice versa right like if the number two seed of of uh lck beats lpl number one like that would tell us something it, it didn't happen in this case but um though th- i think when that happens that usually says something um so that was kind of a standout for me honestly now i i know that genji wasn't the favorite even though they won uh lck not everyone had them as the best team but i still think that um I mean, yeah, they kind of just got outclassed, honestly. Yeah. Elk was the better AD carry in that series. That The spacing in that one fight, I think it was Isaiah. One of the casters pointed out the spacing uh, was kind of nuts in like that late game team fight that closed out the game. That was kind of huge. Uh, what else? Uh, there was Peanut that kind of threw. He, he engaged on the... He was playing Wukong. He engaged on a Braum and used his clone to get into a fight and then just got stunned because he walked into the Braum and the AD carry, got instantly stunned and killed and then they threw that team fight. There was a couple of hiccups. Doran didn't exactly have the greatest series against BLG. So there was a few areas to point to where Gen G just didn't really show up in that series. Yeah, it, it 
it's it's hard to say if they didn't even show up because I I think they just got outclassed. Yeah, it, it's hard to say because there's still definitely credit to give to the side of BLG, right? Like Bin had a good series. His Gwen completely took over that one game. Um, on was playing the Blitz and kept hooking Peanut on Kindred. Uh, that that was also funny because I think Azale predicted he's like, uh, I know this sounds weird, but maybe you need to go shield bow because if you just go crack and you're just gonna get one shot, and then of course that's exactly what happened. Um, yeah, I mean you got to give credit to the winner and you gotta I guess give some criticism to the loser, and that's kind of what that's par for the course with this series, honestly. And then we had our Western Bros in G two and Cloud Nine get. I mean, I will still say that I think that G2 played a competitive series against BLG. Yes, Cloud9 got absolutely smoked, and I think everybody recognized that they had almost no chance to win that series, and it went exactly like the majority of people predicted. But I still think that G2 is playing better than people are giving them credit for across this entire tournament. I like I don't know. I guess the way where it falls for me is I think G2 looked better than Cloud9, but like even in G2's win. Like Elk just gale forced into a Jana tornado and died. Like that was such a throw by Elk. And I like I don't want to take away credit from G2 because I thought like Hans had a pretty good uh series with the Jinx. He looked pretty good. Uh Yike had a good tournament. His Kazakhs was great. Like and, and by the way, I think Yike is definitely a player for European fans to be excited about. Like this, this guy, is still this a guy young is good. career. Yeah, and it's a this is a fresh career. So definitely reason to be excited, but Overall, I still didn't think G2 looked all that good. Caps pretty much ran it down. Like, I don't trust Caps running into the river. He dies a lot in river. Um, Caps was definitely the most disappointing person on G2 for for this tournament. I think everybody so, was hoping that he could match what the other mid laners yeah. were going to do, but it was, it was not it. And, and so there's definitely some areas that I just can't ignore. And that's why, like, if I was a European fan, I don't think I would be able to cope... Um, either just seeing like how the players that you think were are going to show up just kind of didn't so for me like if i'm a g2 fan i'm not not much more happy than i am if i'm a cloud nine fan but maybe i don't know maybe i'm biased and a fan i don't know i would still urge people to like use their brains and compare g2's performances to the rest of the western teams and you'll see how like way better it was and yeah sure they're, they're, you can't go much further apart from getting completely dicked on like cloud nine golden guardians and mad lions did in the bracket stage but g2 was still having competitive games against some of these against these top eastern teams yeah is there any players you want to point out on the cloud nine side we talked about a few g2 players i guess we can talk about fudge I feel like there's not i mean there's not a lot of good to talk about with cloud nine <laughs> the only good is really berserker and there was a lot of bad Specifically yeah. out of the solo lanes of, of Fudge and MS. I was so, like, I, I know we mentioned this before. I was really hoping that this would be a tournament for Fudge to bounce back after Worlds. He had a really bad international tournament. We're coming into this one. It's like, this is your time to bounce back and show that you could uh, play with the big boys. And he couldn't. Yeah. So... Not really much more for me to add. Cloud9 just got hard stomped. That was a quick one. That was a quick series, quick 3-0. Uh, not so close 3-0, very one-sided. And to me, uh, I, I guess G2 played a little bit better, I suppose. But still, like, I, I guess I, I still can't get by the fact that, like, their one win came off of just a huge misplay of the other team. Which, again, I guess you all, I do say all the time that, like, you got to credit teams that capitalize on the mistakes of their, of their enemies. So... 
maybe I am selling G2 a little bit short and maybe I shouldn't. Yeah, I mean, the, some of the positives for Cloud9, you know, are most notably is Berserker just because of his individual performance and not basically getting rolled by the Eastern bot lanes. You know, for the most part, Cloud9 held their ground against all the Eastern bot lanes, they didn't get rolled per se like the majority of Western bot lanes against these ones. I mean, I mentioned it before, the only ones that were playing pretty well were Hans and Mickey and and Sven and Berserker. And the only other person I think we can talk some good about with Cloud9 is Blabber. You know, he didn't, I mean, he didn't play extremely well by any means or even even had, you know, complete dominant games at points. But I think he just did a much, did a much more clean performance in terms of there was no like egregious mistakes that he was making like we've seen at previous worlds where blabber is making these really ant plays you know there was a couple ints for sure don't get me wrong but yeah blabber wasn't going off the rails like we've seen at other international tournaments yeah i was pretty disheartened by watching mns get out cs by chovy not just that alone as chovy out CS is a lot of people historically, but Chobi was out roaming him while also being up a lot of CS. It was like, dude, this guy isn't even in the lane. He still has more CS than you. And he's forcing Cloud9 to back off bot lane or just get dove and die. Um, Chobi pretty much just hard mid gapped MS in that series. So that was pretty. And like, look, that that is par for the course, but as a North American fan, it doesn't make it hurt any less. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do we want to do the obituary? Yep. We did it with Golden Guardians. We got to do it with Cloud9. Um, peace, Cloud9. You yeah. you may rest now for mm -hmm. what is a whole 10 days. And before I give my score, one of the metrics that I've used in the past when it comes to giving these teams a score after the conclusion of their split is, do we have more questions than answers going into the next, the next split or next year, whatever it may be? And I feel like we have more questions than we have answers with Cloud9 right now because we kind of wonder if these solo laners can match up individually to the rest of the world. And I think with MNS, it's a little, there's a little bit more of a gray area because we've only seen them at one international tournament. But when it comes to Fudge, like this is the second international tournament in a row where he is heavily underperformed relative to his LCS performance. And when I'm saying this, I don't think that we need to give up on Fudge by any means, but we're getting to a point where, like, has this guy sort of reached his international ceiling? Like, is Hopium there ever... Is depleting? I guess. I mean, is there ever going to be a point where he breaks through and is actually one of those Western players who can contend with their Eastern counterparts? Because there's very few Western players in the world that can and are able to do this. And when you get one of those players who can, it, it's really, really important for that team's international performance. And potential how far they can go but when a guy just can never get over the hump internationally it's pretty difficult to, to then continue to have faith yeah and i think that's fair and i don't even blame him for that by the way we all know the disadvantages of playing in north america and then having to go and compete against the lck and lpl but that doesn't make your point any less valid that like you see a guy get gapped over and over again in international tournaments it's hard to get excited about the next tournament right I think that's fair. And when it comes uh, to my score, I'm going with an eight. But me too. I, well, well, people might think an eight, you know, that obviously sounds really good. And one of the reasons why I think the score is higher than higher this split than it would have been in previous ones is because I don't think a lot of people viewed Cloud9 as one of the favorites to win the split. 
you know, a lot of people still had EG and FlyQuest above them to, for the majority of the split. You know, it wasn't really up until the end of the spring regular season where Cloud9 really sticked, or, you know, staked their claim as the best team in the LCS pretty much took until week eight when they overtook FlyQuest to say like, okay, guys, we're, we're the best now. And, you know, there's no questions about that. However, you know, the, the very lackluster MSI just really puts a damper on things. Yeah, like if they had a good showing at MSI, we're giving them a 10 out of 10 for how happy they are with their split. Um, and, and I think to just echo a little bit what you're saying is they they started the split with Diplex, not really knowing what they would get out of MNS. And it was like, uh, Diplex isn't really doing enough. We got to put in MNS. Let's hope that he works out. And he mostly did, mostly um, for the LCS. But again, when it comes to international, the, we can't ignore what you said, where it's like, how many times can you run back the same sort of players? fail at international tournaments and then get excited for the next one coming up mm -hmm. I, I mean i think with mns the, the the potential and the hope is still there but I, even as a cloud nine fan i mean fudge like he just doesn't seem to be at that level of those eastern players yeah anyways i agree with the eight you know what i love i love how for an obituary which is supposed to be like you're supposed to like say like what they did in their life and what they accomplished and blah 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 then we give them a score maybe we should do that irl you know like if I die, someone's got to give me a score of one to ten. Like Blue Jay, eh, not such a good life. Give him a one. He's pretty disappointed. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, anything else on Cloud Nine? Uh, I mean, no, I don't think anything else on Cloud Nine. One thing I just wanted to point out for everybody, just because I wanted to go through the number of games that every team played that advanced to the bracket stage. And yes, some of these teams are is including their play-in matches, but the important thing to note, BLG, they played 26 games over the course of MSI. That is, you know, I, I can't think of how many games they played in the LPL, but I know there are 16 games in the LPL regular season, and obviously they had a massive run through playoffs, so they probably played, my best guess would be around 30, 35-ish games when it's all said and done, but they played almost a full split's worth of games in a two and a half week period at MSI. So I think especially with these other format changes, when it comes to a, a problem that teams have voiced their opinions about in the past is be like, Hey, we don't play enough games at international tournaments, or we need more international tournaments so we can get more practice. But the sheer number of games that some of these teams are able to play, I think is definitely going to play into their favor going into summer split. And if these teams return to worlds and at the end of the year, BLG played 26, uh, Golden Guardians played 17, T1 played 17, JDG, Gen.G, and G2 all played 15 games, C9 played 10, and Mad Lions played 6. Yeah, getting that many games of international under your belt is very, very valuable, I would say. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that is quite good. Um, okay, I think we got through everything we wanted to get through when it comes to the MSI stuff. Let's swap over to some LCS uh, updates, some summer updates, if you will. You want to take it away, Jinter? Yeah, so we kind of mentioned this uh, a little bit when we were talking about some MSI hangover potentially, but the summer split begins on June the 1st, which was a little bit surprising when I remember it was initially announced because for the most part, the summer season of LCS usually starts during the second or the third week of June, and it's starting really early this year, so... When we do talk about that MSI hangover, I wonder if it's going to be 
multiplied because there is almost no break that these teams are going to have going into summer split. I mean, I don't know when Cloud9 uh, flew home, presumably a day or two after they lost their series. That gives them, you know, 14 days to acclimate and to begin the summer split. Like that, that is not a lot of time at all. Didn't they? So refresh my memory here. They took a break after last MSI, right? They weren't scrimming when they went back. I'm assuming they would do the same thing this time around. Uh, I can't recall. I don't remember what was going on in 2021, but. Did they even? I'm trying to think if any players just didn't play. I don't remember. Something's telling me Jensen wasn't there at the start. I can't remember. C9 didn't go to MSI in 2022 when they would have had Jensen. So, Yeah. Something's telling me they had a few starters that didn't start summer, but I can't remember the specifics as to why, if it was just, oh, MSI, so we want a break or something. I could be misremembering. But anyways, um, what other moves are happening if uh, you want to get into some of those? Oh, yeah, there's some uh, some rumored visa problems. Surprise, surprise. LCS and, and visa problems. And... Once again, I wonder if anything has to do with the fact that the summer split is starting three weeks earlier than it normally is supposed to. So if teams were working on their summer rosters over the course of the last two months with the expectation that the summer split was going to start the third week of June, they have, you know, two to three less weeks to get all their affairs in order. And let's mention, I think 100 Thieves is one of the first teams. Obviously, they're going to have a new look roster for summer getting rid of tenacity, getting back someday, and Bjergsen obviously retired, and they're getting Quid, a young Korean rookie who was formerly playing for Genji Academy. However, there's a rumor that he could miss the entire summer split due to waiting for a visa, which could take up to two months. Now, our source on that was like a, an account that we don't really know, right? So that's why this we're... Is a, yeah, this is a very like a rumor. light rumor. Yeah, and we think that it was... Again, the rumor was that MNS leaked it, if I if I recall. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, but that is interesting if that's the case. Very Ooh. interesting, honestly. Yeah, I mean, they'd obviously have to find a replacement mid laner at that, and it, even in a world where you sign somebody who is going to be playing the summer split for you, if he doesn't play the entire summer season, like, is there any value in bringing this guy in to? at the end of the season or at the beginning of playoffs, because if you play the entire season with a different mid laner and your team is performing well, I find it pretty difficult to to switch up the whole team dynamic like that. Yeah, the only way that you want to put them in is if your team is not playing well, which is not a good problem to have. Yeah. So that's going to be likely going to be an issue, I suppose. Um, yeah, I, I don't even know what to say to that. This is so, like, dude... How old is the whole visa issue thing getting, man? Like, it's tiring, you know? It just seems a bit, I mean, I think we've said this almost every single time we talk about visa problems, but teams just continue to have visa problems. And I have never personally ever needed to get a visa for anything, but I can't imagine that if you've done it a bunch of times and you've have become familiar with the process or whatever, that you can consistently have these types of problems. Like I can't tell if these LCS teams are just like not up to standard or they're being a bit lazy or whatever it may be, but it feels a bit weird so. to hear consistent visa problems year over year. 
The fact that it's consistent makes me believe that it's not the teams are too slow to get these applications in. It just makes me think that the application process is super freaking long. Because again, the rumor is that it's going to take a couple of months. So yeah, but I guess the the next question that I would I would ask if if there are known visa problems that will happen every single split and every single year, then importing players like that is just you're now at you're now at an inherent disadvantage importing players if they're going to miss the first two, you know, two, three weeks of the split, maybe even up to two months in certain cases. It has never stopped LCS team from importing. And I, by the looks of things, it's not going to stop them because they all got rid of their academy teams. <laughs> not all. Yeah, not, not all of them. Uh, anything else or should we talk about the NACL update? Yeah, I guess um, one thing that was confirmed, which I think is one of the only confirmed moves of the summer split apart from Immortals, uh, is that Vulcan has officially signed with FlyQuest. And then they also put out some other tweet where couldn't tell if they were copying EG or memeing EG or if they were actually potentially going to be making more changes to their roster come summer. But a bit of a, a, bit of a cryptic tweet that FlyQuest posted with regards to potential roster changes, but who knows? Yeah, like, honestly, when I saw that, I was like, did they just give Vulcan the keys to the car? Like, Vulcan just took over Twitter account and just copied and pasted the, the EG tweet. But, like, then they announced officially not long after that Vulcan move has happened. So, like, maybe they're starting to make announcements. I don't know. Honestly, I don't think they're doing any more changes to the roster, but they might be. Because the tweet, we don't know who made the tweet, so we don't know whether to take it serious or not. But... FlyQuest did put out a tweet saying that there's changes. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Any uh, CL stuff now? Yep. Obviously, with the announcement of Riot removing the requirement for LCS teams to field a Challenger League roster in the NACL for summer 2023, we are now seeing a lot of LCS orgs coming out with their official statements with regards to whether or not they will be fielding a team in that uh, in that circuit for summer. And we have now learned that only Team Liquid, FlyQuest, and EG will be fielding rosters for NACL Summer 2023. And that, you know, teams who we thought might have been involved or might have continued to stay involved with the NACL, like, you know, Cloud9, 100 Thieves, CLG slash NRG, are actually not continuing in the NACL, which I think was very surprising, especially when we heard that number of three or four teams were going to be staying. I think the majority of people had a pretty good idea of who those teams were going to be. And it was actually came to a bit of surprise that, you know, some of those teams actually had opted out. Yeah. I, the only one that surprised me was cloud nine. They were the one team that I thought for sure would keep. Um, and then I remember thinking TL would keep and fly would keep. Those were the three that I picked. I yeah, did I think... not expect EG because EG had just let go of all their players. So it was like, Oh, they're clearly going so budget. So I didn't expect EG to stick around. I didn't think 100 Thieves have mentioned that they've had like money issues and you've heard Nate Shock come out and say like kids aren't going home to play League of Legends anymore and blah, blah, blah. So I had the feeling that 100 Thieves wasn't all that interested in running a, a, an yeah. NACL. In, in, in hindsight, that quote was pretty damning. Which one? The, the Nate Shot one? Yeah, that like, you know, young yeah. people aren't interested in League and the whole point of, you know, Challenger League and Academy and Amateur is young people. So if Nate Shot is not of the personal belief that young people are going to want to be playing League, there's no way that he was going to be shelling out a shit ton of money to to feel the roster. 
Yeah, that, that's I, hinds- kind of- hindsight is twenty twenty here, but I feel like you, we look back on that quote, it's like, oh yeah, there is no way in hell that they were going to d- continue with this. Yeah, and of course, a bunch of people are upset with uh, all the teams for doing that. I don't even blame them for being upset. I'm also pretty upset with it. Um, but look, like I'm, I'm not looking over their books, right? Like I don't have the numbers in front of me, so it's easy for me to be upset. Um, because I know that it, the way this is going to affect the league, it's going to be very significant. We already talked, um, or we've already heard people talk so much about all the people losing their jobs. They don't know what to do. That's a, a really big concern. And my other concern is, well, one of my other concerns is what does the league look like with three teams? Or yeah, is there going to be any set third party or whatever, any other like uh, tier two teams or whatever that want to join this thing? I don't know. It definitely will be interesting to see how many teams are involved in the league because I just I was going back to look at the previous split because we had 16 teams in total. Ten of those were the required LCS teams to field the challenger roster. And then additional to that was Team Liquid, CLG, and FlyQuest all running amateur rosters with AOE Gold, Wildcard Gaming, I don't know those two teams, and Cincinnati Fear that's one of the teams that I do know, were the three, I guess, third-party teams coming into it. So with the understanding that uh, I believe FlyQuest announced that they're dropping their amateur team, I don't know if Team Liquid has announced anything about their amateur team and if they're continuing in summer 2023. And with CLG, their amateur team, I'm assuming, is going to get disbanded or removed because of the, the sale to NRG and whatnot and presumably cutting back on costs. At the maximum, as it stands right now, we would have only six teams in this league. And that's even if these third-party teams such as Cincinnati Fear, Wildcard Gaming, and AOE Gold want to continue. Because with all the announcements you know, as of late when it comes to the LCS not being involved with this, what's the point of third-party teams being involved in this anyways? Yeah, I don't want to say that they won't be participating, but I'm just saying if everyone else is dropping, that's less incentive for them to want to stay. Like, I, I, dude, I'm worried that it's only going to be four teams in this league. It's going to be the three LCS teams that stayed and Cincinnati Fear. Or maybe it's more incentive for them to stay. Maybe it's like, hey, you know what? With only six teams, maybe we can get a championship under our banner, you know? Under our maybe. org's name. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. So maybe, maybe it's a good thing for them. And there's more second, third, or whatever party that wants to join. That, it's that's just, true. It's so, it's so disheartening if you can't tell by my lack of enthusiasm to talk about this. It feels like something we can't ignore. It's just so like, ugh. and I, I mentioned last week, it just feels like every week there's some doomer crap that we have to talk about. Mm-hmm. It's getting old, but we can't ignore it. And we did mention um, last week with regards to the LCSPA, they made a very important point that, you know, this had reached a point where they felt like they needed to go public. Uh, with a lot of you know information and basically wanting the community to stand with them and you know get as much support as possible and we've seen the LCSPA tweet out a number of different things with regards to the decision making behind teams staying or leaving as well as you know giving us a little bit of inside info in terms of a bit of the money situation when it comes to operating these teams I just wanted to point out one tweet that the LCSPA released. It said, Riot gave each team $3 million this year to operate in the LCS plus NACL, but only three could afford to spend 50 to 20% of that to promote the future of NACL. Shame on Riot for letting teams get away with it, and shame on every team that pocketed 
that pocketed the future of the league. And I do want to bring this up a little bit just because of that number that he mentioned of $3 million. I would have to think, but I'll preface it by saying I'm making an assumption here that that $3 million figure probably is, you know, tied into the revenue sharing agreement between the LCS and the teams itself. Now, one of the problems with the LCS is a lot of the financials is hidden behind the scenes and not open to the public. So, you know, us as kind of nobodies, for lack of a better term, we don't really have, you know, any of any of that information. But I do wonder if the LCSPA is weaponizing their their info a little bit. So here's the thing. Maybe some of that is from revenue sharing. The only problem is three million per team. I just have no. There's no way for me to believe that the LCS is bringing in $30 million in revenue right now. I just do not see that happening with, we've been seeing so many sponsors drop off more and more. There's no way that like just a few handful of sponsors are giving the LCS $30 million. So maybe some of that 30 mil is from revenue sharing, but I would have to think again, not an expert here. I would have to think that the large majority of that is not from revenue sharing. And so my guess is that Riot probably realized um, that they should try to do something similar to how they've done BCT. They pay some of these teams to be able to promote their players, their teams, their brands, etc. And maybe that's what that money was for. I, I just have no idea. Like, it, it would be interesting to know exactly um, where all the money came from, if some of it was from revenue sharing, like you said, and how much of it was supposed to go towards uh, supporting your NACL roster, or maybe none of it at all was supposed to, or all those things, right? There's not a lot of details behind that but it certainly brings up a lot of questions anyways yeah i mean it's definitely it's definitely stuff that hopefully will be i don't want to say investigated because i don't think there needs to be like an investigation per se but i do hope that this is information that will be made available to the public at some point or if we do see continued talks between or continued talks and or changes with the LCSPA and the NACL and the LCS that, you know, we can, we as the public can get a little bit more information on this because it does feel like we are super in the dark and in terms of, in terms of knowing how things are operating behind the scenes. And I think the LCSPA is giving us a little bit of insight with regards to that because they feel like they need to. Um, but I just hate that we don't have all the information. It, it makes it hard to form opinions. It makes it hard to figure out who's really in the right or wrong here. Um, but it's this just is pretty common. LCS fans being left in the dark for information. Yeah. This is totally common. Like we don't even know how much the players make. Is there any other like all the traditional sports? All are like, hey, this guy just signed a contract for this much, and hey, the teams are getting this much. Like all this information is made public. When it comes to League of Legends and LCS and probably the other leagues as well, we just don't know. They don't really share any information with us, which kind of sucks. Um, I do want to go back to the whole point because T-Roy in the live chat made a good point about how uh, Maryville qualified into NACL. And so there's possibly some collegiate teams that might join. That's a very good point that we did overlook. And I just want to shout out T-Roy for bringing that to our attention. Maybe we do see a lot of collegiate teams go into the NACL. That was something that I had heard. I heard some talks about collegiate teams. Um, I just it completely I, I just completely forgot all about it. So maybe we have way more than six teams uh, if uh, collegiate teams are looking to join. But we'll have to wait and see what that looks like because I can say with certainty 
that some collegiate programs are not as well supported as people might want to hear they are. Uh, and perhaps some of these schools don't have the resources to support a team playing in NACL. Let me just say that I, I've been involved in some collegiate esports stuff before, and it's not exactly organized. Let me just say that. I don't care. Niles come back. It's happening. Niles come back to the LCS. Gonna go yeah. from the the worst player of all time to the best player of all time. Yeah, Niles making a comeback. Uh, okay. Um, oh yeah, one other thing that I wanted to to bring up. One of my concerns going into the whatever the future of NACL looks like is I'm I don't even necessarily think it's likely, but I do think it's possible that what teams might do is run a team for spring. And if they have one or two pieces that, hey, you know what? This player is actually looking pretty promising and maybe might, might be LCS ready sometime soon. Then maybe they'll keep their, their NACL team. One of the things that I'm a little bit worried for is if all five of their players are just duds and they don't think that they're ever going to be LCS ready, if they just drop their players right away when summer comes along. And so I'm a little bit worried like, hey, we got five new players. Let's see what they can do in spring. If they don't perform, then they just drop them and say, okay, so on, go long so long rather get out of here we don't need you and like that's kind of something that i'm a little bit worried for um hopefully that's never the case but without the requirement of having an nacl team i'm wondering if teams are just going to flip flop back and forth of having a team because we think we have players that are going to be lcs ready soon or we don't and so we're out and like you could just have this revolving door of teams back in the league back out of the league back in the league back out of, back out of the league that could be a really really weird dynamic going forward it also does make me wonder if we potentially see kind of similar to what you were saying, where if there's a system where teams want to field a roster for spring and if it works out, continue it into summer. If it doesn't work out, you sort of, you know, abandon it. You know, that's it, what I mean. Yeah. But I wonder if there's a world where, you know, any hit cloud nine, for example, if they find, you know, a young prospect, like let's just say they find somebody who could be like a blabber and then they choose to, you know, field a roster for, let's just say, for example, spring 2024 and summer 2024, and then promote him into the LCS team, do they then just abandon the roster because the only purpose of it was to, to promote that one guy? So right. I do wonder if we're going to see LCS teams go after, you know, individual prospects and then use NACL as only the, the like, the... The vehicle to get them into LCS. Like, I wonder if it's specifically going to be planned out that, hey, us as Cloud9, we're going to go out and sign this Korean Academy guy, bring him over, work him up through NACL for the one year, and then promote him into LCS. So, I guess my version's a bit of a variation on yours to, like, if, if they're going into it with the knowledge that they already want to bring him up to the LCS as opposed to, hey, we're just doing a complete experiment here. Yeah, it's a fair point. I, I and I get what you're saying, right? Like maybe MNS would be an example, whereas like they used him, they put him in Academy or NACL rather, and hey, you know what? This guy was actually pretty good, and so we're going to use him. And then like, oh, we tried Diplex, we don't think he's worth it, and so now we're just going to drop the team. Diplex wasn't enough. Okay, go on, bye, get out of here, Diplex, and then rinse and repeat year after year. It is, uh, it is a concern, even if that's not likely to happen because of the backlash they would get from the community. Clearly, some of these LCS teams have not been afraid to make decisions based off of the backlash of the community. Sometimes they just don't care. Yep. Uh, quick news? Yep, we got a, a smidgen of quick news. Um, one thing that was made as an announcement at MSI, um, but I felt like people were only hearing about this for the first time, was the fact that there'll be a last chance qualifier 
for Worlds 2023, which will be a best of five between the NA number four seed and the EU number four seed for one of the few remaining world spots. And this did this was announced when they announced all of the international changes to both MSI and Worlds at the beginning of 2023. But it felt like people forgot it. So if you guys didn't know about this, well, now you know. NA versus EU best of five will happen before Worlds, and it'll be for a world spot. I forgot about it. I'm one of those guys. I completely forgot. I think the reason why I would have forgotten about it is because I'm like, well, there's a good chance North America and Europe will play each other at MSI, so I'll look forward to that. <laughs> and, uh, well, we all know what happened there. Um, but, yeah, NA versus EU. This is what we want. Pog, I'm looking forward to it already. And then one other thing to note with this is it will be expanded in the future to include other additional teams and regions. Um, they did also mention this in the initial announcement made at the beginning of 2023. So I would think that this would also be a miniature style bracket where maybe we have the second seed from regions like LLA, CB Lol, PCS, maybe also get thrown into here. Or yeah. VCS, PCS, any of those minor regions it's like for me it's like fine they can come to i mean we'll beat I just... them if, if msi playing said it told us anything is that you know lower tier na and eu seeds are still way better than all the number one playing seeds or uh, minor region just, seeds it's not even just this msi as we talked about it just a few weeks ago most of the international tournaments north america and europe are smoking the uh minor region teams except for mad lions oof too soon those guys are still stinky. I guess not too soon. It's been a while. Okay, I have, I have a question for you. Did you get baited when there was like a bunch of people who were retweeting the thank you Niski from in 2018 when that no. was that Twitter account was still Splice? No, because I saw I, the date on the tweet. Dude, I like I, I think I read that right as I woke up one morning and I was like, what the hell? Mad Lions are getting rid of Niski? Like they really must they 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 just jumped on the Elioya Dick Riders, I guess, but I got baited. I was like, wait a minute, this is twenty eighteen. What the hell is going on here? Yeah, I did see the date on the tweet, so I didn't get baited by it, but like that is totally something that I normally do get baited. I got baited by. for like <laughs> 10, 15 seconds. I was like, what the hell is going on? I almost always get baited by that shit, but this was one of the rare times I was like, oh, you motherfuckers. I can see the date right there, but it was funny. It's good it, was, stuff. it was funny. It was a good meme. Yeah. Uh, what else we got, Jinter? Yeah, man. Last up, uh, Riot announced that they are going to have a new CEO. Their current CEO is stepping down, and let me make sure I get this right. Their current global president, Jillian DeGia. I don't know. Hopefully I said that right. Dylan Judea, Judea, he's going to be uh, the new don't CEO. Ask me to pronounce, I don't know. Good for that guy. Hope he does well. The timing is a little weird because, uh, as the Niccolo Laurent guy, uh, hopefully I'm saying his name right, uh, as he's leaving, Riot's also paying out like a hundred million dollars or something. Yeah. To, I shouldn't laugh because it is very serious, but the timing on this is really weird, guys. Like. I honestly, I, I remember actually reading the article of when, like, there was allegations against the the CEO, and honestly, I actually didn't think that the the uh, accusations were all that credible. Now, again, I'm outside; like, I don't have any actual knowledge of what went on. So, like, maybe they were, maybe they weren't. I thought they were less credible until I see him leaving around the same time. Rides paying out a hundred million to fifteen hundred and forty forty eight women, 
to settle a, settle a gender discrimination case. The timing on it's a little bit weird. That doesn't necessarily mean he's guilty, but yeah, that's coincidental timing, let's just say. It's one of those compliment sandwiches. Like, oh, MSI just finished. How epic. Oh, we have a new CEO. How epic. Oh, and then we paid $100 million to settle this huge gender discrimination case that's been going should, on for the last five years. I should also distinguish that the, the big accusations against him was from one woman, like one of his assistants. And that was the thing that I remember reading, like the whole, it was a long ass document. And that is where I remember thinking like this stuff doesn't seem all that credible. The whole, the 1,548 women was not all like towards... Uh, the CEO, the, that was like, that was like, yeah, the broader, the yeah, that was yeah. like, I think this dates all the way back to 2017 or 2018 when those yeah. kind of allegations first came out about the, the work, the, the workplace culture. And riot. that stuff we know. Guarding in people's more, faces and that, shit. That stuff we know is a lot more credible. Jesus. Oh my God. Absolutely uh, hilarious. I mean, it's sorry. It's, it's not, sorry. It's, it's, it's not funny, but the fact that people are like farting in people's faces or like cupping their hand and like throwing their, like that is like absolutely fucking ridiculous. How is that real, man? It's How not is that real. real. It's, it's not, it's, sorry. It's anyway. not, it's not funny, but it is funny at the same time. Yeah. That's messed up anyway. Anyways, I, I'm glad the settlement came through because obviously we know that there's been a lot of issues when it comes to gender discrimination and gaming. Riot was not any different. And so hopefully that's put to bed and we don't have to read crazy ass shit like that anymore. And hopefully the new CEO uh, can handle, um, handle not letting those issues arise again in that company because my God, man. Mm -hmm. Okay, that, that's it for quick news, right? Yeah. We are doing an episode next week. That's where we're going to do the preview for uh, LCS Summer, which starts on June 1st. So I believe that's 11 days. Um, we're back to our regular schedule. Yeah. 7 p.m. Sunday nights. That be is, there, be that square. The plan. Yeah. Uh, if you want to catch us live, you can at twitch.tv slash podcast. Uh, thanks to all of those uh, that were helping us in the live chat, as always. You guys are always very helpful. Last reminder again to subscribe, leave a comment like button that stuff helps us a lot guys so make sure to do that and uh also if you got a prime throw down a prime go over to twitch.tv slash clownfest the podcast and throw a prime down we could use that um yeah looking forward to the lcs starting up again uh thank you guys again and this has been episode 125 of the clown fiesta podcast take care